0: So, tonight, uh, I'll be completing the series on the three characteristics. Uh, For some of you, it's the beginning of the series, I know, but it, it, you know, stands alone. (laughs) Um, So, in the previous evenings, I have given uh, talks on anicca, or impermanence, Uh, you know, just the constantly changing phenomena, Uh, how it's all changing. And then on dukkha, or the unsatisfactory nature, where we can't find lasting happiness in this changing experience. And so tonight, moving into anatta, the impersonal or insubstantial nature of experience. And this is often a subject where, after a talk on anatta is given, you know, minds are spinning, churning, trying to figure this out, and um, you know, it's, it's a, we find that self asserts itself. Uh, you know if we think of it in no, no self, then it's like, "Oh my God, annihilation, void, What's going to happen? Fear, terror. And that's not really the case at all. Actually, just uh, on the weekend, I did a day-long at uh, the very Center for Buddhist Studies, and I uh, called it, It's Not About Me. And what was interesting to me was that there was a number of people who were brand new to practice, who came, and I think it's because you know, they can see from their own perception that there is a way of relating to this karmic lump where we start to call it self, and you know we're constantly improving upon self and verifying this self, and it becomes a really heavy burden. And you know it you know it's exhausting when we are continually this star in this movie, and you know having to do our best, and uh, it just becomes completely exhausting. And so, you know, when we really look at it as a way of unpacking what we are clinging to when we so identify or hold to a view of self these teachings become very liberating, lightening. Actually, I remember being with uh, a Burmese teacher, Sayadaw Utejaniya, and there was somebody who was just in the throes of suffering, in the throes of really, you know, really tangibly feeling this unsatisfactory nature of experience. And he, he said, in the end, it's a Nata that will save your life. <laughs> you know, where we can really put down this sense of a burden, you know, uh, hauling around this idea of who we are that is, you know, just this bag on our shoulder that has all this weight to it. And, you know, the Buddha was very practical in this. You know, he's not talking about um, not self as, as some metaphysical explanation. Uh, he's not proposing a view. Uh, what he's really what is pointing to is a way of looking at experience where we start to unhinge these tentacles of, of clinging identification that are why we suffer. And the Buddha would actually not answer the question whether there was a self or not, uh, because he said it wasn't helpful, and that what he was teaching was teachings of liberation and what's helpful in that process of liberation. There was once a monk named Malaya uh, Pahagun, Paha and he asked the Buddha, who, who is it that makes contact? Who feels? Who craves? Who clings? And the Buddha responded by saying, not a valid question. So, you know, tonight you're not going into this philosophical debate. Is there a self? Is there not a self? What we want to be able to do is to look directly into our experience. And one of the aspects that we'll be looking at tonight is this sense of self. And, you know, really looking at it in our own experience to see what's happening there. Actually, the word... Self in itself, in the English English language, is often used like a noun. And really, life is a verb. You know, it is this continual movement. And self tends to point towards something which is solid, unchanging. And this is where we get into trouble. This is where uh, it creates... personality problems you know we create even when we come to our spiritual practice you know meditation that if we start doing it from this place of there being this self then it's like it becomes a self-perfection project and we come here to perfect this sense of self and you know that just inevitably leads to more suffering In the Buddhist teachings, we find that this view of there being a separate, unchanging entity is based on on an erroneous or mistaken perception, you know, from not seeing clearly. And this is why we practice, because we live with these mistaken perceptions, and we live with them as if they are true, but really by just looking at our experience it starts to unravel. It, it becomes not so solid, not so, uh, you know, the, this whole solidity, you know, just in seeing of in something as basic as being with this body, uh, not just to, like we can see the changes in body over time, but as we sit here, moment to moment, we can see the changes that are occurring. We have a direct experience of that. And so the body, which once felt very solid in one way, starts to break down. And, you know, the sense of self um, often feels quite strong often feels like, you know, it's as, it's as if it's a shadow that's following uh, every movement through life and is, is just there, and it's like we know the world through this sense of self and can't imagine what it's like without. And yet, actually, there is moments that we experience in our practice where the sense of self is not so solid. You know, we have this at any moment where they're, you know, in a moment of hearing when there's just hearing, in a moment of seeing, where there's just seeing, in a moment of touching, where there's just touching, in a moment of smelling, where there's just smelling. You know, these real moments where, where it's not running through this whole filter of there being a self to whom it is happening. And, you know, they happen in just little moments. And I remember, you know, one of my first retreats with the Burmese Sayadas and having these moments. And those moments, it was just like, you know, stepping out of a jungle into a clearing. And, you know, it's where this, it's not, experience is not going through this filter of there being a self to whom it's all happening. And it's just, pooh, it's so lightening clarifying through this close examination we see that there's this really dynamic experience that's happening in this causal matrix and that you know due to causes and conditions different phenomena keeps appearing and it's continually changing The teachings on Anatta are said to be the most difficult teachings because it can be a subtle level of looking at experience and yet it is profound, transformative. It really radically transforms life and the living of it. Actually, I you know in my own experience seeing it in in quite a simple way that relates to right here, right now, is the giving of a talk, you know, giving of a Dharma talk. In your lives, you know, it could be whatever profession you might be in, a presenting of something, and the pain where it's all relating back to me. You know, the the sense of it all hinges on how good I do it and the need to be perfect in the doing of it, and how heavy that get, that gets. And when it's really just doing what needs to be done. It just lightens the whole thing. In our practice, we begin to notice... Moments where the sense of self isn't present. No, it's just the same as when we were with pain in the body and at first it seemed really solid and then we paid attention and we began to see that what seemed solid was actually changing and it actually could, in one moment there could be heat, fire, vibrations and then the next moment could be gone. This same with there being a solid sense of self. In these moments, we find there's an absence of clinging or identification with experience. It's just the absence of clinging. You know, it's, it's not that suddenly there's a void. Everything's still happening. Just nothing is being clung to. And it's not all done from this self referential place. We see the times it's present when it's absent. There's one way I want to explore this evening. Where, which I have found very, very helpful in the Buddhist teachings in just looking to see in a given moment what's being clung to. And this is where the Buddha spoke about the um, five aggregates subject to clinging. And these five aggregates, the word aggregate, it's, it's a bit of a... Odd word, but it really refers to a heap, a bundle, and it's this bundle of stuff. You know, it's this bundle of this karmic unfolding. Um, it's how we experience life. And so he broke it down into uh, that of material form, material matter, the body, uh, into what's called feeling tone, which is not the same as emotion, but feeling tone is really the pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral quality that is present on contact with experience at the sense doors. And you know, so sometimes, um, you know, in hearing a sound it's experienced or known as something pleasant. Another sound might be really harsh and jarring, it's unpleasant. And then the other sounds might be very, very neutral. Um, So that being an aspect of experience. Uh, And another way is through perception. You know, it's the part of the mind that functions by way of categorizing, organizing, labeling. You know, it's like the mind has this capacity to be this expedited filing system. And you know, it just kind of uh, it cobbles together like experiences and distinguishes them. That's where you know, we can distinguish uh, a human being from a dog from an insect. Uh, we can uh, distinguish um, different types of sounds. You know, the sound of my voice. You've heard my voice before. It's ocean's voice. Uh, you can distinguish that from a mechanical sound. Um, you know, it's something that happens very, very quickly. You know, and it's just related to perception. And then we find uh, volitional formations, which again is a funny languaging. And it's really the conditioning agent where karma is um, established, where where acts of body, speech, and mind are conditioned you know it's a volitional an impulse um, or uh, you know so we can see it by way of that impulse we can also see by, see it by way of a mind state that conditions experience so when the mind is filled with anger that can condition both how the mind is and how the body is in that moment it's a conditioning agent. And then the last of the five aggregates is that of uh, consciousness, which we can, uh, in this way, relate to it as the consciousness that arises as sense door experiences, you know, as there's a, a sound, it hits the ear door, and then consciousness is like the spark that ignites that and is the knowing of it. You know, so consciousness being this knowing element in experience that, you know, is connected to all of these sense door experiences. And, you know, so here he's pointing to what we experience in our lives in different ways. And it's helping to kind of break down what's going on And then for myself, it's been like really looking in a moment where there's a strong sense of self and might see that there's a perception that's being clung to, identified with. These five aggregates, or five heaps of collection, uh, are really important. The Buddha, when he was once giving a definition of dukkha, he said, in short, the five aggregates subject to clinging are suffering. And so these aggregates are really where we begin to see the truth of suffering and we begin to see the cause of suffering, You know that we begin to really see these tentacles that get embroiled around these aspects of experience. And that, you know, we come to see that in order to uh, release that, that grasping, there has to be a wisdom that understands what's happening here. But it's through the exploration of our own experience that this can happen. When the Buddha was giving teachings on these aggregates, he said, What do you think? Are material form, feelings, perceptions, formations, and consciousness permanent or impermanent? The bhikkhus responded by saying, Impermanent, Venerable Sir. He said, Is what is impermanent suffering or happiness? They responded by saying, Suffering venerable sir said is what is impermanent suffering and subject to change fit to be regarded thus this is mine this i am this is myself they responded no venerable sir so impermanence is one way that you know he pointed to these aggregates as being so constantly changing and that Through that, not being fit to be regarded as self. The dynamic functions. Now, it's not that we want to suddenly stop perceiving. No, this is something the mind does. But it's the clinging to that creates the suffering. He went on to say, Therefore, bhikkhus, any kind of material form, feelings, perceptions, formations or consciousness, whether past, future or present, internal, external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, far or near, should be seen as it actually is with proper wisdom thus, This is not mine, this I am not. This is not myself. So he pointed to impermanence. He also pointed to how all of these aggregates are also ungovernable in their nature. And that, you know, that we don't have control. We can't, you know, with the body. We can't have it be that we never experience unpleasant body sensations. We can't have it be that the body never ages, that there's there's no state of decline, that it's not amenable to our will and therefore becomes oppressive when clung to, when identified with. We find at times, like just on the level of perception, that the mind is continually perceiving of experience. All of the different experiences that arise are known and disappear. And that at times, you know, there's a sense that this is a bombardment. So this clinging that happens, happens through appropriation, or identification. The appropriation is where we want to grasp through desire or lust. We want to possess what is. Where identification is based on the conceit of I am in relationship to others or the view, opinion, idea about others. Oneself. First looking at the appropriation appropriation yeah. um, ah, the ownership we take ownership of so many things in life. It's easy to see in the outer world we take ownership of material possessions, of you know cars, we take ownership of family, my husband, my... My daughter, um, my son, we take ownership of property. Uh, I once, I remember once being down in the south somewhere. Maybe it was around Florida. I'm not sure exactly where it was, but you know, standing looking out at the ocean, and somebody was telling a story about how people used to own property out there. You know that that you know we we take ownership of so many things my books, my, my cushion, my, my spot in the hall. Um, and we, then we get caught in having, protect, perfecting, protecting, gratifying. Um, it, it's this sense of possessing. We can look in our practice where we take ownership, where uh, you know, taking ownership of thoughts, states of mind, my aversion, my anger, my my joy. Um, it's something that we possess. My peace. You know, you can use the word my and just fill in the blank. Um, and you know, it really comes down to my stuff which can be worldly goods or it can be our emotional baggage that we carry around. But we've somehow taken possession of it. And you know, we can readily feel uh, the baggage of it, whether it is in the world. You know, right now I'm in the process of moving and, and sorting and you know just feeling the weight of stuff. And you know, we often as we sit, we feel the weight of our stuff. You know, just this whole baggage that we carry around. And, um, you know, where on another level, it can just be causes and conditions coming together. The, the weather passing through. You know, the, that um, it's just the, the currents of life. And then there's the clinging that we do as a basis for conceit or view about oneself, the the concept of self, the conceit, I am. And, um, you know, that can be I am, three forms of conceit, where we might feel superior or inferior or equal to. But there is this sense of I am in relationship to others, comparing mind, judging mind. Um, or, you know, I am tall, I am short, I am a man, I am a woman, um, I am strong, I am weak, I am good, I am not so good. Uh, And then we have views, a conceptual sense of self. And, you know, this can be almost like a shadow in a sense, you know, a subtle sense of there being a uh, sense of somebody, myself. Um, There's a a whole range of how we experience that self, that sense of self. There's a teaching from uh, Venerable Amalaya on... He, he's a German monk, and he says of the, all of the aggregates, these aggregates are experienced as embodiments of the notion I am. From the unawakened point of view, the material body is where I am, feelings are how I am, perceptions are what I am, volitions are why I am, and consciousness. Is whereby I am. In this way, each aggregate offers its own contribution to enacting the reassuring illusion that I am. So, I, I find this, um, you know, just a good explanation of, of you know, how these different aggregates work in a way where, if we don't see them clearly, boom, out comes this sense reassuring sense that I am. The sense of I am, conceit of I am, doesn't fully disappear until complete enlightenment. So if we start practicing to get rid of self, it's going to be painful. It's not going to be helpful. And it's a much more playful, light, sense of investigation to just look and see in the mind what is happening when there is something that feels like it's me. Just look and see. You know, sometimes it will be a thought and the thought's being identified with, clung to. Sometimes it will be pleasant experience Uh, commonly we're asked the question, how are you today? Response is often geared towards whether there's an abundance of pleasant experience or unpleasant. You know, when it's pleasant, ah, I'm really good today. If it's unpleasant, oh, not so good today. You know, we we can really identify when, when there's predominance of pleasant, practice is going well. When it's unpleasant, practice is not going so well but it's just unpleasant experience. Very freeing just to see it in that way. Seeing if we can have a friendly, inquiring relationship. What's happening here? The Buddha talked about viewing these aggregates by way of This is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. And I found this really helpful at times to actually remember this. The mind's doing tricks in the moment refrain yes that's the word (laughs) Um, this is not mine this I am NOT this is myself this is not myself so when you know the tied up in something going on in the body just remember this is not mine this I am NOT this is not myself and just see if there's an effect from that you know that's not the same as directly knowing it for oneself but it's turning the mind in the direction of an understanding that's helpful. And just see, you know, so if anger is blazing, if it's not seen as mine, does it bring any more space? Does it bring a lightness to it? Does it help to see it in a new way? Just in an exploration we can do. It's said that this is not mine works with the appropriation of self. You know, this is not mine. We're not possessing in that moment. This I am not is the antidote to conceit. You know, the conceit of I am. This I am not. And this is not myself. The antidote to the view or concept of me. We may not see it in all its subtlety because it does get really subtle. Even the definitions of you know between conceit, the uh, views, concept of me. Um, don't worry about it. What's what's the experience where we're experiencing having some sense of I, me, or mine? What's the mind clinging to? Clinging to these five aggregates is sustained by ignorance, not seeing clearly. And really this is where all of these three characteristics help us to be able to see these aggregates in their nature. We begin to see how these, all of these aggregates are impermanent, are subject to change, they're not lasting, they're not a place of finding deep satisfaction, and that they're impersonal, insubstantial. We find that there's no point in appropriating anything, no point in identifying with anything, because the subject of appropriation and identification the self is merely a misperception, something we need to see for ourselves. It's really a way of putting down this burden, this heavy weight of there being a self to perfect, to um, protect, to just a way this way of relating to this flow of experience that perpetuates suffering. When we do this, it really opens the landscape. There's a spaciousness, a deep ease relaxation. Now we're unwrapping these tentacles that are clinging so often to whatever is being experienced. No one. I wanted to close this evening Actually, first, before, I'm going to, what I'd like to do is a short guided meditation where we can just look at these aggregates because on one level it sounds so intellectual and I, not being one of the intellectual giants of the universe, um, was so surprised that when I just began this moment-by-moment exploration of these aggregates, how freeing it was and how immediately accessible this teaching is in our experience. But before I do that, I'll just uh, also share a practice poem R- I wrote it at the end of a retreat and obviously doing some exploration around this subject. It's called Taking Life Lightly. Letting go of me and the story that I weave Who'd ever thought how fun it could be? For all of the places I've clutched and defended. For all of the tears I've cried from grief, sorrow, and loss of the suffering of me. My fingers grew tired. They had clutched so hard and now dared to relax and to loosen their grip. Moments of peace, tranquility, and joy. A lightness of heart in this empty, cognizant, ever-changing space. And then there I'd be again, that one that wants and needs. I'd shrink and recoil at the very sight of me. Each time that I'd come, at some point I'd pass, letting go again of the suffering of me. Now I keep arising, but there's a giggle inside, for jumping at opportunities of a birthplace for me. Each time that they pop, it's no more for me, poor me, but laughter and humor as the mind becomes free. Letting go of this me or just allowing life to be without ever thinking that it belongs to me. So anatta, helping us to take life lightly, lessening the load, the burden. Okay, so we'll do a little exploration in our own experience. Just taking a moment to let the mind settle in the awareness of this body This body that is made up of the elements earth, air, water, fire. The body can be known through a direct experience of the elements. The earth element. Hardness, softness, the fire element, coolness, warmth, the air element, the expansion, contraction, movement. The water element, moisture, could be moisture in the eyes, mouth, or it's inferred by heaviness. It brings cohesiveness. So knowing this body directly and immediately, the hardness, softness, vibrations, coolness, Are these sensations changing, pulsating? Are you the hardness? Are you the softness? This body should be viewed as this is not mine. This I am not. This is not myself. Within this body, the experience of the body. Some of these sensations may be pleasant, some of them unpleasant, some neutral. Noticing if there's any clinging to the pleasant. Can we decide to have only pleasant experience? Or is it Ungovernable. The Buddha likened feelings to being like a water bubble. We inspect, ponder, closely investigate, and they appear void, hollow and it's insubstantial perception that which recognizes names labels and categorizes We pigeonhole experience into something recognizable, have a perception of the body. Can we hold the perception? Just have a sense of the whole body. Can you hold that perception or do other perceptions break out? Buddha likened perception to being like a shimmering mirage, constantly changing. Perceptions to be regarded as this is not mine this I am not, this is not myself. the volitional formation, the conditioning agent, gathering of energy that initiates action. If we turn the attention to the awareness of breathing, an intention to do so, We turn the mind towards loving kindness, the practice of loving kindness, an intention to do so. The urge to act is highly conditioned by the way we've responded in the past. Arising out of conditions. If aversion is present or any state of mind, noticing how it affects the conditions it might be felt in the body, the atmosphere in the mind. The Buddha likened this to the heartwood of banana trees, empty, void, without substance. Should be regarded as, this is not mine, this I am not, this is not myself. Consciousness, that which knows, the bare cognition that's supported by feeling, perception, volition. When there's a sound that hits the ear door, hearing consciousness arises. Sensation it's touching sensory consciousness it arises with all of the objects in the sense doors. In a moment of seeing, and there's a seeing consciousness, and the sight disappears, is the consciousness still there? In a moment of hearing. Hearing consciousness. Buddha said, this was like a monkey going through the great forest, catching one bow, let's go, consciousness, another one arises right there, like a magician's display. consciousness itself to be be regarded as this is not mine this I am not this is not myself Not to try to discern where one aggregate ends and the next one begins, but to see them where the clinging is, the appropriation or identification. So, um, closing with the reflections on the sharing of blessings.